Hello and welcome to episode 22 of the Wimlex Show. Today I, Willem, will be talking with Lena Hackeler about e-commerce and fintech. Lena is a German living in Stockholm and she will be talking about fintech and the trends in the market. Beside that, she will also touch upon Sweden as a very successful hub for entrepreneurs and scale-ups. And she will talk about the differences between the Nordics and continental Europe. So sit back, relax, and enjoy episode 22 of the Wimlex podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 22 of the Wimlex podcast. We're delighted that we're joined today by Lena Hackeleur, who's the founder of Bright, a fintech startup company, and who was previously at the Unicorn Klarna and also at Clearo, another fintech company. Great to have you here because you're also going to be our co-host for podcasts in the Nordics. Welcome, Lena. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Could you please introduce yourself to the audience? Absolutely. My name is uh, Lena Hackeleur. I'm f- from Germany originally, um, but have been living in Sweden for the past, well, soon 10 years. I uh, have been working in fintech, primarily towards e-commerce businesses um, all along. And uh, yes, I'd be very happy to be here today um, and record this podcast with you. It's a first for me. Great to have you. And then we need to figure out a new name of, of, of our show to, for future <laughs> podcasts because Wim Lex includes part of our name. So Lena, maybe we can add Le, Le Wim Lex show. <laughs> also a target of French audience. <laughs> so a little bit more about you. Uh, what's your history? What's your background? How did you uh, end up in fintech? That was actually a complete coincidence. Um, so I've been moving all over Europe a little bit when I was younger and eventually ended up in France um, and then got contacted by a company called Klarna, um, who I believe much more known today than they were at the time. Um, this is back in 2010. So it was a fairly small fintech business um, located in Stockholm, co-founded by three founders, and they were just about to internationalize outside of the Nordics. Um, so they came in, they got in touch, um, came in contact with me through a recommendation, and I interviewed and took a marketing position initially. Um, and then we started really building uh, on the German market and trying to grow the business more internationally. Uh, initially, I didn't think I was going to stay in Stockholm all that long or in Sweden, but I ended up staying for seven years. It was a fantastic ride. So that's really my background. Um, Great. And, and so... Maybe for, for the listeners who are uh, not that into fintech, mm-hmm. um, my understanding of Klarna is it's a post-payment uh, service. Is that also how they started? That's right. Yes, absolutely. So they um, focus on a niche that's called after-delivery payment, or that's how I like to view it anyways. So there's a um, component of real-time credit scoring um, where basically they can predict as a consumer when you make your purchase whether you will be able to pay your invoice or not, or you will be able to pay your installment purchase or not, um, which is a very interesting model from a payments point of view because there's obviously monetization on the merchant and there's also monetization on the consumer. Um, and it's a very consumer-fronting service compared to other payment services that are much more niched into the merchant direction. And, and how have they been able to expand so rapidly? Uh, have they been funded by... Uh, the, 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 the well-known VCs? Or, uh, yes, they have. Uh, is there another reason for their expansion drift? No, they're, they're very well funded. They have um, Sequoia, um, one of the big international ones from, from uh, the States, and they also have General Atlantic, for example, Atomico. There's a couple of really big names behind them. Um, but it's really, they were quite profitable from the start. So already when I joined, we were about 150 people then, I think. Um, they were already profitable. 
Wow. So they've been funding their own growth. Yeah, it's a quite a success story, I would say, from Amazing. the founder's point of view. Mm-hmm. And and then if you if you look at business model of Klarna, it's 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 after delivery payments, as mm-hmm. you call it. I can imagine that there's a higher credit risk compared to prepayments. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does Klarna deal with that? Mm-hmm. They have um, quite an impressive model for credit scoring, uh, which I think is much of the sort of unique capacity that that particular business has. Uh, it also presented some of the growing pains in the beginning when when I joined the business and we, we came into the uh, Dach region where the infrastructure was a totally different one compared to um, Sweden. But that's really what they have done well. So yes, absolutely. Credit risk is part of it and it's part of their offering that they take that away um, from a merchant point of view. So they will guarantee the payout towards the retailers and they take the risk. Um, so that's built into the model. Cool. And and you said the DAG region, um, mm-hmm. they expanded in the DAG region also thanks to an acquisition, I think. Yes, partly. Mm-hmm. Of a company called Sofort. That's right. And Sofort, for the non-German listeners, uh, is an incredible success story in the German market. Could, could you elaborate a little bit more on what Sofort did and, and what Klarna took over and uh, why they've become so successful? Mm-hmm. No, it's it's quite an interesting uh, completion, I would say, of the Klarna offering. So Klarna entered the German market in 2010, which was exactly when I joined at the same time. That's, that's why I remember so well. Uh, and we bought Sofort, I believe, in 2014, the merger came to a close. So it was already well into the story of the German market at the time. But Sofort in itself, I think, is a very interesting case. I, of course, myself, I wasn't part of founding the business, so I, I only came in touch with them as part of the, the process with Klarna when we when we did the merger. Um, but they are also FinTech, a challenger that offers direct bank-to-bank payments. So what they really do is they cause a payment on behalf of the end consumer through the online banking interface, um, which is obviously a direct payment right then and there that yields itself very well, I think, to anything that's consumed straight away. So that's fantastic for travel, digital goods, also for e-commerce, um, but really quite widely used um, across a number of different categories. And what Klarna does in after-delivery payments, you can also be, of course, used universally, but I think, for example, works particularly well when it comes to fashion. It's one of the strong segments that they have. Um, basically because, of course, you'll be typically you order several items. You don't want to pay for all of them. So you'll order them, keep a few, send the rest back, and then only pay for the ones that you actually keep. Um, and that's something that works very nicely without delivery payment. So from that point of view, I think from product offering, um, it was a very nice completion. And then obviously in 2014, uh, Sofort had already come quite a long way. So they were very well established on the German market. They were a huge brand. I think the brand awareness was somewhere up in the region of, of 70-80%. And how did they do that? Because I can imagine that there were, was an abundance of, of, of small players trying to yeah, uh, and get to the second. market and, 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 and become like in a leading position. Why has mm-hmm. Sofort succeeded? I think they had a very persistent management team, to be honest. I was so impressed. They have been, it's not a secret, uh, they have not been loved by the banks in the beginning. Uh, I don't think the banks necessarily loved you losing the touch point with the consumer because really when you use support, you use their interface. You don't really see your own online bank. Um, so there was quite a lot of friction towards the banks in the beginning, as has been covered quite widely through the media. And I think the management team has sort of stuck by it and hasn't lost their faith. Also, it's a um, particular category of payment that can be used at a quite good cost from a merchant point of view. So typically in the German market, it's one of the, in the payment mix, it's one of the lower cost payments. Okay. So there's an incentive also 
yeah. um, for the retailer to offer it or to, to push it towards their end consumers. So I think there's a number of different factors that rendered it successful, but they were definitely very persistent and there was a, I think, a constant threat in the discussions that they were having uh, towards the banks. And I think uh, what I can recall is that, and what you also told me uh, before this podcast, that the German banks tried to start a competing system as well. There is, yes, absolutely. Um, there is a business called, well, at least in the very same category, called PayDirect, that is actually owned by a conglomerate um, of the German banks. And they have been around for a few years as well. I think they were founded, if I'm not totally mistaken, in 2014, I think. Um, so that's been... The year that you bought <laughs> so forth. <laughs> the year that oh, we you. bought so forth. <laughs> Precisely. Not, so forth. not me personally, but us at the time, yes. And, 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 and why didn't they succeed? Or is there still market share that, that, that is being acquired by them? They are. I believe that they are growing, okay. um, from what I understand. Yeah. Um, but it's not as widely used in, by comparison, I think, as Sofort is. Okay. Sofort has, in the meantime, been rebranded to Klarna. Yeah. So that's part of the Klarna offering okay. now. So the, the Sofort brand as such has ceased yeah. to exist on the German market. But the offering, of course, is still there. Okay. Um, it's, it's also integrated in Klarna's checkout solution. Yeah. So they've really leveraged it. And, and, and if you then look at the, the, the markets, I, I think um, what you displayed is on your profile is that you were responsible for the German market, but also the Benelux. Um, how did you see the Dutch uh, fintech market and especially on e-commerce payments? Because in the Netherlands, everybody uses Ideal. Mm-hmm. It's like the platform, uh, the go-to platform, also with mm-hmm. relatively low tariffs for merchants. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, did you crack into the Dutch market? And if yes, how, how, how did you get, a, get to a position? <laughs> to be totally fair, I think the Dutch market is, is challenging because okay. of the strong dominance of Ideal. Absolutely. Um, it's just so widely established already. Um, so the um, And I was responsible for the marketing piece, not for the market overall. Yeah. Um, so I was wearing the marketing hat. Um, so that was difficult. But it's Klarna has also had a presence. Um, so they have been, of course, growing in the after-delivery segment yep. because that doesn't compete as strongly with Adil because it's a separate um, offering. But I think Sofort and Adil are more heads-on-heads competitors, so that would have been more difficult, definitely. So we touched upon a couple of players in the, uh, in, in the, in the payment field. Mm-hmm. Um, w- uh, since you've been in the market since 2010, uh, almost nine years, mm-hmm. you, and you've worked internationally as well in, in the countries where most of our listeners are from, uh, what, what what for you are like the main uh, trends that you've seen over the years? And how would you compare, say, the Nordics to the Dach region, the Benelux, and maybe continental Europe as a whole? Ah, interesting question, because it is really quite different. Um, starting perhaps with the latter part of your question. In Sweden, for example, which is really um, the market, that's where I live. That's my, that's our home market. Um, Sweden is an incredibly digital society. So people are typically rather fast um, to adopt new trends and things are moving rather quickly. So, for example, in Klarna, partly due because we're a Swedish company, of course, would always pioneer a solution in Sweden first before we took it to Germany, at least during the time when I was there. Um, and that's really something that makes it, of course, a lot easier sort of get gaining traction with consumers. That's my experience, at least. Funnily enough, going back to the example of what you were saying, PayDirect is a um, local competitor to support in Germany. There's also a company in Sweden called Swish, um, which is in the exact same segment. They also do direct payments, slightly different infrastructure behind it. But that is, for example, a massive success story, perhaps the biggest success story that I've seen um, over the last couple of years uh, on the, in the Nordic region. 
And w- what does Swish do? Is it a P2P uh, platform or it can you also use it uh, as a merchant? Yes, no, absolutely. It's, it wasn't, it's an app. Yeah. Um, and it hinges very heavily upon bank ID, okay. which is a verification service in Sweden that is extremely widely used. I think most adults in Sweden probably use bank ID. Okay, so everybody um, has a bank ID. Precisely. Yeah, well, okay, so it starts with the fact that everybody has a personal number yeah. in Sweden. So all Swedish citizens are numbered. Um, so that's something that you use very much in your day-to-day life. Yeah. And with that personal number, um, you can sign yourself up for Bank ID, which okay. is issued by the different banks okay. as an identification service. Okay. And you can use that Bank ID essentially as a digital signature yeah. to complete contracts online, but you would also use it to log into your online banking, to complete a payment, really quite widely across the digital landscape. Okay, cool. And Swish hinges up on using this identification method to cause payments in real time. And initially it was peer-to-peer and it's yeah. always been free, um, but they've been rolling it out also towards merchants. So now it's being used, for example, in e-commerce, but also you can use it offline in your local shop if they accept Swish. And the adopt, I mean, just the way that's been adopted, it's been quite massive. I think they have 6.5 million users was the last statistics I, I saw. In wow. a market that has 9 million citizens. Wow. The penetration and how many adults live in Sweden? That's probably like oh, seven or... Yes. <laughs> so they, you could say that they, they penetrated the market. Almost. Uh, yes. Almost 100% uh, for the adults. Yes. And they're equally as old, I think, as Peter, like give and take one year. Okay. Um, so given that comparison, it's quite interesting, I think, yeah. when it comes to the adoption. Then they're also owned by a conglomerate How, how do bank. banks... Uh, uh, yeah. React to the success of Swish? They are bank owned, actually. They're bank owned? Yes. As by is bank owned banks or one, yes, one of them? By, I think it was six large ones initially. Okay. Um, but it's very much backed by the banks. Okay. And that's interesting because it's a, um, it's really quite a different landscape. So that's what you can see generally in the Nordics, yeah. that the cooperation among the different banks and the willingness to push forward in the digital space yeah. um, is very different compared, for example, to, say, Germany. Yeah. which is a much more fragmented bank market with different interests. Yeah, because uh, I know uh, here in the Netherlands we have a similar system mm-hmm. called Tiki. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tiki is also a P2P payments platform, mm-hmm. um, well uh, integrated with WhatsApp. So mm-hmm. you can just send, like, uh, if you have a telephone number, so the identification is telephone number. Mm-hmm. If you have a telephone number, you just send somebody a Tiki link, mm-hmm. and then uh, they can proceed to the app to make the payment yeah. uh, and to their banking app. Um, the good thing is that that, uh, P2P payment platform is also uh, bank independent, so you can use it with any bank. Mm-hmm. What I've seen fail in the past is that when these P2P apps started, um, usually they were bank-owned, but also controlled to only send money back and forth between people who had an account at that bank. Mm-hmm. Is that something that, that happened in Germany? Do you see these systems uh, arise in Germany and fail because of the uh, yeah, lack of interconnectedness between the, the bank uh, accounts? There's there's smaller plays coming up, but nothing yeah. as widely adapted to the same extent. Nothing that I've seen that's yeah. being used all across. That's really such a large phenomenon that you know a large share of the adult population would use it. Wow. Yeah, so that's something that I think is perhaps easier in markets that are more centralized, such as the Netherlands as well. And and going back to your Swedish example, saying like at Klarna we had a culture of innovation and adopting new technologies. I think. That's that's typical for Klarna, but also for many other successful mm-hmm. Swedish or Stockholm-based unicorns. Mm-hmm. Is there something in the water in, in, in Stockholm <laughs> that people want to become an entrepreneur and have these huge ambitions? Because if, I think if you look at the density of the uh, unicorns in Europe, uh, Stockholm uh, per capita uh, of inhabitants is the highest in Europe. Yeah, I mean, I maybe in, in well. terms of total 
size, London has more. Mm -hmm. But if you compare the size of the city to the amount of tech companies and, and unicorn tech companies, I think, yeah, Stockholm is really an example for the rest mm -hmm. of Europe. So again, is there something in the water in, in Stockholm? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure it has to do with the water, but you know, you're right. People tend to say that, that uh, Stockholm is, is sort of the capital of, especially I think, fintech, uh, music tech, I think as well. What I can say, at least having lived there now for, well, almost 10 years well, um, is that there is more of a culture of entrepreneurship, definitely. Um, I would say... I did a benchmark recently in my circle of friends in Sweden, and I think half of them, one way or another, have their own business, either on the side or they're involved in something or they even do it full time. Um, and I can say in Germany, the, which is my own country, the ratio is definitely much lower. So there is more of a culture of entrepreneurship. Um, I think that the stigma that comes with failure isn't as strong. Okay. It doesn't feel like it's such such a big deal in Stockholm if you founded a company and it didn't really turn out what you wanted it to be, um, as it may be in Germany. So that's, I think, a general mindset. And then the Swedish society generally is just so much more digital. Uh, sometimes when I go back to Germany, I can be surprised as to how non-digital the society really is by comparison. And then I don't, I don't only mean access to mobile phones, access to internet, which is amazing in Sweden by comparison, definitely. Um, but, but also just um, the way that tech is built into your day-to-day -day life. So in Germany, I know there's been a discussion the past couple of months about having this um, digital uh, health file where basically you would have your health record um, at hand and several doctors would be able to access the same file, which isn't the case in Germany today. If you get a um, prescription, that will still be paper-based. In Sweden, ever since I moved there, everything's been digital. You can go to any pharmacy in the country with your personal number and they'll be able to pull up your record and issue a subscription that a doctor has made for you a few months ago somewhere else in the country. Uh, and that's just one example. If you go to, um, uh, to Stockholm and you're trying to use a bus, you can't pay cash anymore you'll have to complete a purchase through an app to even use the bus, which, of course, in Germany is totally unheard of. There's many restaurants and uh, bars who don't accept cash at all anymore uh, as all digital payments. So generally, I think the affinity to digitalization is much higher in Sweden and compared with a, um, a sense that entrepreneurship is cool and is desirable, I think that helps a lot push things forward. And, and, and do you then, because you had these success cases of Klarna, of Spotify, mm -hmm. and many mm -hmm. others... Um, how, how are these entrepreneurs, these founders of, 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 of the multi-billion uh, euro companies behaving? Are they also seen as role models? Are they also um, involved in mentorships and coaching programs? Um, mm -hmm. So how, how, how do, do these people help build the ecosystem? I, yeah, absolutely. I believe so. Um, Stockholm is uh, a large city, perhaps by number of inhabitants, but really it's, uh, we, we tend to joke that it's really quite small when you live there. So people typically have strong networks amongst each other. And I can only speak about one founder, the one that I've spoken over, uh, worked with, which is Sebastian, the founder of Klarna. And I think he is definitely a strong role model. Um, he hails from Stockholm School of Economics, which is one of the, um, I think, most prestigious business schools in Sweden. And he's been involved in their incubator program which is also where Klarna was initially founded. So I think he has a strong sense of wanting to give back. Um, so yes, I think that he is definitely, along with the other two co-founders that the business has, um, he's quite celebrated. The same goes, I believe, for Daniel, who's the founder of Spotify. Daniel Ek. Uh, yes, precisely. Um, not someone I've worked with personally, um, but you can see him quite widely covered. Um, so yes, definitely they're celebrated, I would say.
So, so I'm, uh, I, I hear what you're saying, like the culture, uh, the, the, the innovative spirit of the Swedes, role models. There's one component that is maybe more difficult to cover also in Germany and the Netherlands, which is the involvement of the government. And mm-hmm. of course, we're talking about like the electronic patient files here in the Netherlands as well. And it's a wish for years to have like a one integrated app or, or service where your whole medical file is compiled in. Mm-hmm. The Swedish pulled it off. And usually you see government as somebody who lags behind and who's, who's slow on adopting these new technologies. Mm-hmm. Why, why do you think the Swedish government is, is embracing this, but also is able to implement this? Because I think if we compare it here to the Netherlands, of course, the government is embracing mm-hmm. digital trends as well. But there are many failures of uh, yeah, tech projects uh, by the government uh, in the mm-hmm. Netherlands. How, how come the Swedish government has been successful in this? Mm -hmm. Ah, that's a good question. There's probably a very smart answer to it, but I have a personal theory. And that is, I think the, generally speaking, the Scandinavian markets, and I think the same goes for for Norway, for example, as well, or even for for Denmark, they're not huge markets, by definition. Um, They don't have huge industrial conglomerates, maybe to what you're used to from larger economies in, in continental Europe. So I think they're a bit more forced. Um, to inspire entrepreneurship and especially digital ventures because they feel that that's a space um, where they can actually make a big contribution. Um, that's at least how, how I have um, felt because there is a lot of push from the government. There is loans, for example, to founders on quite a large scale. Um, there's a, quite famously, I think, two, <laughs> two small founders in Stockholm. Um, there's a player called Alami who give out um, loans to founders at very favorable rates. And the threshold is not incredibly high to get them, uh, which actually there's a number of businesses that I'm uh, in my circle of friends who have taken those loans to begin with and who have then built successful businesses on top of that. Um, so I think there's generally speaking definitely a will to grow and to fuel the economy from that angle, perhaps partly because they're forced to more than what you would see, for example, on the German market. Um, that's my, the- my theory. Okay. Cool. Yeah, nice. So uh, talking about you personally, um, you started at Klarna. Uh, it's a unicorn company, a multi-billion uh, euro company. Then you moved on to Clearo, which is a Stockholm-listed fintech company. Yes. And you were CEO at, at Clearo. Um, Stock-listed, uh, stock uh, I think you, you mentioned it uh, before we started this podcast, a couple of hundred people work there. And then you moved to found your own startup, which is Bright. And... That's yeah, completely different ballgame. You're now an entrepreneur. Uh, you're you're uh, you have your feet in the in the mud again, and you <laughs> need to figure out everything yourself. Mm-hmm. If, if if you look at that career path, going from like a big company to mid mid sized company to like a startup, mm-hmm. um, a how does that feel for you? And b why did you make the decision to leave Clearo and and start your own mm-hmm. business? <laughs> no, it's very much to me actually back to the roots. Because when I joined Klarna in the beginning, uh, as much as it is a big success story in the unicorn that it is today, it wasn't when I joined. Absolutely not. Um, we were struggling when we first came to the German market. No one knew who we even were. And this is, I mean, 2010. It wasn't that category of payment wasn't established at all. So I felt it was very entrepreneurial at the time. Then we grew the business. Um, today, they actually have 2,500 people working there. Um, so it's uh, much, much larger than we, I think, ever anticipated, at least than I did. <laughs> Perhaps the founder had such a vision. Um, so then moving on to, to Clearer, which is actually listed as part of Clearer Group, 
um, to be transparent. So that's um, an e-commerce group. So it's, 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 it was founded initially as a in-house payment provider, I would say. That was okay. then, that then was offered externally as well. Yeah. Um, so they there is a red thread. They focus mm-hmm. on pre- or post-payments or both? Uh, pay after delivery, just like Lana oh, does pay as well. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, they offer all kinds of payments now for e-commerce. Yeah. Um, so similar to Klarna too. Yeah. Um, but that was also sort of an, a small intrapreneurial story, perhaps. So there's a red threat. But yes, definitely, of course, a much more corporate setting. Um, so now with Bright, I feel like I go back to the beginning of my career. It's just that I go all the way. So um, I'm a co-founder to the business rather than just an employee. Um, but there is a component of going back to the roots, I think. And it feels great. Um, that's what I, I love best. I love to build. I like the, the struggle of getting things off the ground. Uh, and very much the firefighting mode on a sort of day-to-day business as you're, as you're setting up the team. You don't have the employees there yet, but you've hired great people that are coming in. But in the meantime, you have to cover. So all of those struggles, that's uh, that's really what I like best. So uh, that's what I did. When did you found Bright? Uh, not that long ago. We um, did, a, did this in March. In March, this year. So it's just been, yeah, it's just been a few months, really. Fourth month. Mm-hmm. And exactly. how many people are you now? Uh, we're now 20. 20, that's ama- yes. amazing. So mm-hmm. in four months, going from zero to 20 people. Mm-hmm. Um, how's the Swedish uh, labor market? Is it, <laughs> is it easy to hire talents? Or, uh? <laughs> I can tell you, especially on the engineering side, and the yeah. developer is extremely tricky. Okay. Uh, absolutely, everyone's, and that's the downside of Stockholm being such a hub yeah. uh, for tech. Everyone's struggling to find great people yeah. on that end. Um, we've been lucky. I think we've we found some some pretty great guys. Yeah. Um, but then, of course, our need is nowhere yeah. near the one of, uh, for example, Klarna and Spotify. Okay, some of the larger, I believe, tech yeah. employers uh, in town. Um, but it's tricky for sure. Um, but expensive? we also benefit. Yeah, it's fairly expensive, I would yeah. say, um, definitely. So did you raise capital then, or how were we you did. funded? Yeah. We were funded by uh, a couple of different, um, primarily tech entrepreneurs, I would say, um, from the Stockholm ecosystem and by a company called A Group of Friends. Okay. Uh, so they're investors that are internal, so yeah. funded by entrepreneurs. So it's a very entrepreneurial setting overall. There's a bunch of great people in the network. Uh, that I can bounce with that have been part of other success stories as well. So that's we're lucky in that way, I think. Nice. And and I think you, you you're still figuring out like the, the well figuring out is a big word, but you're still developing uh, your service portfolio of yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Could you maybe give us a sneak preview uh, on which part of the fintech world you're mm-hmm. going to be active in? <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. So to put it on the map, we're focusing on uh, direct payments. Uh, so anything, again, similar to what Sephora did, actually, anything that's consumed straight away, um, that's what we focus on. So we only have um, a merchant offering. We don't focus on the consumer, where, for example, Klarna, the past couple of years, has been focusing a lot more on the consumer. They have developed famously a very strong brand where there's new dog campaigns, and um, that's been their route. Um, but we, what we do is we really focus more on a B2B2C model. Um, so direct payments that can be integrated anywhere in any vertical. Um, so you could use us in e-commerce, you could use us in travel, uh, anywhere you like. But we make a payments right then and there at the consumer okay. uses the server. So there's no credit component, for example. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. And and when are you? Uh, when will your go-to-market date be? Or right <laughs> after that... this summer? Yes. Okay, no, nice. That, that's our goal. Yes. Cool. Mm-hmm. And international ambitions as well. We do have international ambitions, but we're going to be following our customers quite a bit. Um, yeah. Generally speaking, as is the case for all of us that are in the payment space, when we're licensed, um, we can passport our license across the EU. So technically, we have inroads to most European markets. So the uh, the growth path will depend very much, I think, on our customers. Cool. and where they want us to be. Nice. That is a fairly scalable model. 
Um, so yes, um, very still very much in, in build up phase, but very exciting. Cool. So in, in, in terms of uh, looking at the future, um, what we, what are the big trends that you see? What will be the next Swiss or Tiki or so forth, if you can make a prediction? That's hard to say because I think the payment space is becoming more and more crowded. Yeah. What I've been seeing is, um, and we consider ourselves that as well, is um, there's a lot of, sort of second generation challenges that are coming into the market now. Which is interesting in itself because I think it's a testimony to how innovation really works. But back in the day when we um, started Klarna, uh, there was so much talk about how Klarna was challenging the banks. And I think the same was said for support. Um, but Clearo, for example, is competitor to Klarna. So they have a very similar offering. So they are challenging the challengers, so to say. <laughs> the disruptor of the disruptors. So to say, yeah. So, um, and it's similar for us at Bright. We're also disrupting a category that's already established. Um, and then there's, of course, other players around that. There's a company founded in Stockholm by um, a couple of my former colleagues called Anything. Uh, and they focus, for example, on offering better terms for part payments that are partly, of course, given out by the likes of Klarna and Clearo. So they will help you get a better deal on your part payments, um, assuming that you have a running account with some of those fintechs. Um, so they're also challenging the challenges, but from a different angle, going direct to consumer rather than going direct to merchant. So that's, I think, um, the stage that we're in now, because payments is becoming mature. It's becoming a crowded place, and it's very much... A business of scale. Um, at Klarna, we used to say that payments is very much a winner-takes-it-all type of market because really when you can grab large volumes, that's when it becomes a really scalable business model. Um, so therefore, I think um, that's that's really where the future lies is sort of the uh, iteration of the existing players and the challenging they're off and then making a better offering, which is, I think, for the most part um, in favor of both the merchant and the consumer. And, and, and talking about better offering, I, I, I mean, of course, my background is digital marketing. So for me, the CRO part of, mm. uh, um, of a payment provider is important to see in the checkout if there is any hindrance mm. in converting people to an actual payment and an actual transaction. And mm. actually, here in the Netherlands, we have a success story, which is Adyen. Oh, yeah. So with Adyen, sometimes we discuss like how their payment solutions are benefiting the conversion rates uh, of, of web shops. Mm -hmm. So um, that that's one angle that I see as a payment provider that you can venture into. Uh, on the other hand, you've got loads of data. And with that data, you can also, and maybe also with PSD2, uh, there's an opportunity to leverage that data mm -hmm. more and more. Mm -hmm. um, so that's another angle uh, that, that that could be um, yeah explored. And then oh, the third absolutely. one, obviously, is, is yeah uh, if the market evolves, it's uh, internationalization. So and many more probably as well. What do you see as like the future uh, if you look at these these developments? I think one of the things that will be decisive is that so far payments has been a very local market. Um, and as any large retailer that sells all the cross um, will tell you, it's it's actually difficult to manage because there's so many different local players and payments. And I think that will go away. Okay. I think because of the advantages of the lion scale, I think there yeah. will be more and more players that will cater to more markets, and I think that will become more uniform. Um, I know there's ambitions, for example, of the bigger established payment schemes in, uh, in Sweden to cover all of the Nordics, or you can go outside of the Nordics. Um, Adyen, I think, is an amazing success story in Europe, if not the biggest one at this stage, actually. 
might be from yeah. a payments point of view. Um, 20 billion valuation. Yeah, It's slightly less, but yeah, there. <laughs> and I think also <laughs> just, success. yeah, from a service offering, I think considered very much the um, best in class from what I hear on the market. Yeah. Um, so I think that also gives testimony of the fact that there is um, more and more sort of or a more homogeneous offering across Europe. Um, then I think that the borders away from Europe will disappear more and more. Uh, many of the larger players, of course, eyeing other continents, new geographies. Um, I think the past couple of years in Europe, we've been more busy trying to nail the European markets, in all honesty, at least the companies that I've been yeah. working in. But these days, a lot of people are looking across the Atlantic, exactly. they're looking at the States. That's what Abdi also did. I think they, they uh, got Facebook in, Uber, uh, some mm. other big tech companies, mm. I think, Spotify mm. as well. Might be, mm. not sure, but yeah. So that's also, but it's, I mean, these guys, you know, the name Adyen, it's mm. a, a Surinamese word standing for uh, do it again. Or really? Second time. I had no idea. Yeah, so they, oh. they uh, founded Bibit first. They mm. sold it to, uh, I think, uh, Bank of Scotland uh, or Bank of Canada, one of the two. Uh, mm. And then the founders started uh, a payment provider again, uh, <laughs> but learning from the first one. And I think one of their early things they did well was to look at the States and to really go for the big uh, social media platforms and uh, uh, online to offline uh, apps. So I think they, you're right. Uh, if, if, if companies follow the example of Adyen, it's smart to also look across uh, across the Atlantic to, to the States because if you can nail that market, then yeah, obviously uh, Uber, Facebook have a global reach and yeah. if you can uh, benefit from that like Adyen has done. Mm-hmm. Uh, immediately you're from a European player becoming a global player. No, I mean, if you can follow your customers, it's perfect because then you basically have some guarantee volume in the beginning. I'm not saying that is the particular case now with East, the one that you've mentioned, but generally speaking, um, I think typically as you grow as a, as a, as a at least as a payment provider for businesses, you tend to sign up larger customers over time and they tend to be more international. So it becomes quite natural, I think. And then what you mentioned earlier, PSD2, for example, is a good example for a regulation that also opens up and lowers the threshold. Um, if you, for example, look at Sofort, uh, in the early years, it wasn't at all clear that they would be able to access consumer bank accounts um, on behalf of the consumer still, but still, um, which is now with PSD2, that's sort of part and parcel of, of that whole legislation is that you have to give um, third-party providers access. Um, so there's a lot of legislation, I think, that also eases that um, and makes it easier to become more international faster, hopefully. Do, do you see now uh, smart guys and girls uh, venturing into uh, fintech with that in the back of the mind to, to build apps catered to consumers to access data and then find trends in, say, uh, the way you <laughs> spend your money on a, mm-hmm. on a weekly basis or uh, where you can save in, uh, in expenses? Is mm-hmm. that, is that, do oh, you yeah. see that trend happening now? Yes, absolutely. Um, on that particular example, there's, or the topic, there's a company called Tink uh, in, in Sweden who um, really provide access to lots of other businesses um, in that way and help you, for example, uh, categorize your data towards your consumers. They do it for some of the banks in, in Sweden as well. So you can log into your online banking. You can see where you've been spending, for example. Um, so definitely, um, that's. I think there's going to be lots more companies in that space yeah, because coming still, up. I mean, of course, PSD2 was a big thing, but still there are now like, massive success stories on leveraging that data or mm. not to my knowledge or maybe think is an example in the nordics that is that's well known do, do you already see this success story like being covered in the news or like in the industry is that like happening right now 
Yeah, absolutely. Are they, to, uh, as an example, they are, I think, very well covered. Okay. Um, definitely. So that's, but uh, it's a local phenomenon. Going back to the point that I'm making earlier. Swedes <laughs> are really like riding waves uh, before continental Europe. <laughs> and that's basically. So no, absolutely. I mean, they're perhaps less known, I think, in, in uh, Germany or the other larger continental European markets. Um, but in Sweden, that's a huge success story. Absolutely. And yeah. the name is Tink? Tink. Tink. T-I-N-K. Uh, with a K in the end. K, yeah. think. It's founded by uh, two Swedish guys based in Stockholm. Nice. Uh, quite heavily funded, I think. Uh, also, if I'm not totally mistaken, I really don't want to say anything wrong now, but I think they're backed by one of the Dutch banks as well. Okay, cool. Not, not entirely. Well, well, bank backed in any way. I think that's safe to say. Nice. So, uh, going forward, I mean, you, you offered to be one of our uh, co-hosts as well. Mm-hmm. Actually, Alexander, you don't know yet, but we just renamed the show into Live in Black Show. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what, what will you bring to the table? Um, who are you going to focus on and, and what are your angles uh, in, in, in future podcasts? So hopefully I'll be able to bring some really exciting people from Stockholm. Um, to the podcast, there's uh, a bunch of really exciting people that I'd love to have a more structured discussion with uh, and record it. Uh, and hopefully it'll be of interest to people uh, elsewhere as well. Uh, I've been, during my time at Klarna, we actually organized an event called eSuite in Berlin. We did, I think, three years in a row. And the idea was that we would really bring people together to have a dialogue around um, thought exchange. And one of the ambitions with that was that we were bringing people from different geographies, especially people from Stockholm to Germany and vice versa. So I've been somehow been trying to do that the past couple of years, but not too much focus, because I think that people in the different countries or the, the industry in different countries is good at different things. And um, if that can be a bit more mixed, I think that will be interesting to everybody. That's, nice. that's my read, at least. So that would that would be something I'm hoping to do. Yeah, and I think in a few episodes, at least. <laughs> and I think what you explained today in in the podcast is how advanced the Swedish market is. And I think if we can learn from that, that will be super interesting and super exciting as well. I actually learned two uh, new new players today, Swish and Tink. So I'll <laughs> dive into them uh, after after this show. Really understand what they do and uh, if there's uh, a similar uh, player active in the in the Dutch or the German market. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much, Lena, for thank being you. in the show. Maybe well, one closing remark. We usually record a podcast that lasts the uh, time of an internal flight in Germany. <laughs> <laughs> so save 35, 40 minutes um, for you to grasp uh, your uh, podcast during the flight, but also maybe uh, not to uh, uh, have a, a series of, of, of too long. So I think uh, that's that's one thing we try to do and. This has been super exciting. Great to have you on board, uh, Lena, and uh, looking forward to many uh, new shows to come. My pleasure. Looking forward as well. Great. Thanks so much.